I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's level one adult and pediatric trauma center. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to another edition of uh, Hennepin's Healthy Matters on uh, CCO Radio. Nice to have you here. Dr. David Hilden is your host. Uh, I thought you'd be coming in in running shorts today because it's so balmy out. It there. is balmy out. Yeah. I think we're having a heat wave. Yeah, a little bit. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm working today, so I'll go over to the hospital after the after the show today. But uh, hopefully, get outside just a little bit. Yeah, it's it's it is. I know that spring a is in the air. Danny. It's a trade off, except for the folks that have you know own ski areas. And I know. Like I guess that, that sounds good. Snowmobile. I'm kind of kidding. I I I would love a foot of snow. Or, you would. Or, yes. If it's going to be winter, it might as well be winter. You know, you've got and snow tires on your. Car I got now. snow tires on. I'm ready to go. I got a new shovel. All right, you're I'm, set. I'm ready to go. I don't have any gas for the snowblower though, so that's a you better get prepared for that. Note to self, but not in the near future. I heard there's no snow coming. I mentioned this a couple times earlier, Doctor Hillen, about uh, the show today. This is going to bring in, I think, a lot of text messages, messages, and a lot of phone calls as well. I think it will. We're going to talk about your knees and your hips. We're going to talk about knee replacement surgery, hip replacement surgery, why you might need to get those done, what to expect. And as regular listeners to the show know, I'm an internist, which means I don't know anything about your knees and your hips. <laughs> I'm, an internist is an internal medicine doctor. That's what I do. I do chronic diseases of adults. But fortunately, at Hennepin, we've got one of the best. I, I'm going to go with it's the best orthopedic surgery department um, around. It's run by a guy I've known for many years named Andy Schmidt. He's one of the best surgeons you'll ever meet. But he has assembled um, just an outstanding staff of orthopedic surgeons and support staff and nurses in, in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery. So this is one of the things I can say without bias. I don't work for that department. But I tell patients all the time, if you need your knees done, if you need your hips done, if you need orthopedic surgery, you should just drive by everywhere else and you come down to Hennepin because we have the best department going. To help me out today to talk about knees and hip replacement, I have George Hansen. He is one of the orthopedic surgeons. He does the, both of those types of surgeries. He also does trauma surgery. So if you get your, if you get broken up, you know, if you get your broken bones, he can do that for you as well. Dr. Hansen, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, uh, Dr. Hilden. Appreciate it. Great thanks to have you, me. George. Great to have you. Now, you're uh, um, I have only met George this year. Yeah, uh, he came from elsewhere. Where are you originally from, and where did you do all your training, George? Sure. So uh, from uh, Chicago originally. Uh, did an undergraduate degree over at MIT with aerospace engineering. In, out in Cambridge? Uh, yep, uh, Cambridge, Mass. And then uh, after four years of working in uh, kinematics research uh, at the biomechanics lab out in Boston, 
uh, came back to Chicago for uh, medical school training out at Rush University. Uh, from there, I did an internship and residency over at uh, Detroit Med Center, Wayne State, out in uh, Michigan, and then I uh, did my first fellowship in uh, orthopedic trauma uh, over at Metro Health out in Cleveland, associated with uh, Case Western, and then uh, finished up with a hip and knee uh, adult reconstruction fellowship, so hip and knee replacement fellowship uh, over at Mass General Hospital back in Boston, uh, one of the uh, Harvard affiliates. So you have, you're well-traveled, and you're also well-trained. That's an enormous amount of training. What was the first thing you said about kinem- kinematics, or what was that? Sure, yeah, so it's uh, looking at research, it's looking at uh, the motion of the of the knee, and the idea behind the research that we were doing uh, back in Boston was, you know, if we can understand the motion of the knee uh, from both a healthy and from an injured standpoint, uh, can we figure out a way to reverse engineer uh, the design of the implant? Uh, so uh, we spent most of the time looking at more of the injured knee uh, mm-hmm. as well as actually the motion of uh, comparing that to the motion of the current knee replacements and trying to figure out, you know, how can we actually tweak the design of the current implants to make them better? So I'm a former engineer, a recovering engineer. That's cool. That's sort of like <laughs> knee engineering right there. Um, and then you've done, you do trauma. You did a special advanced training in trauma and you did uh, advanced training in, you said, reconstruction. I think we're going to talk about whatever the listeners would like to on either of those. But I'm going to start out with why someone might need to get a hip replaced or a knee replaced. So what are the common reasons? Is it just explain to me, I come into you, I've got knee pain or hip pain. What might be going on in my knee and what might you tell me? Sure. Uh, so uh, first thing is talking to the patient, uh, figuring out, you know, what's going on. You know, you know, is it, is it a achy pain? Is it you know, something that's been going on for a long time? Uh, is it something that's kind of come on gradually versus something that's coming on much more acutely? So something that comes on very fast, suddenly, you know, you're fine one second and all of a sudden, you know, bang, it hits you. And, you know, so that can start to already kind of start, starts to sway what you think might be going on. Uh, but, you know, from a, you know, looking at it from a knee replacement or hip replacement standpoint, you know, we're usually looking at, you know, patients who've start, started to develop some some level of, of arthritis, which is an inflammatory process or wearing away of the cartilage. Uh, and as that gets bad enough, uh, usually uh, it becomes harder and harder to walk and uh, to be able to do activities of daily life. And uh, once that's gotten bad enough, then we talk about, you know, other options. So when people, knee I get, someone's knee hurt when they walk or when they move. People get refer to the hip in different ways. Sometimes they talk about the area and I'm slapping the side of my, you know, the bony part of the side of your leg. Sometimes it's in the groin area. You know, well, how does hip pain, if you have hip arthritis, what does that pain feel like? Sure, absolutely. So, and I agree. I mean, unfortunately, when we talk about you know, colloquially about the hip, I mean, really, you know, I've had, had it go anywhere from, you know, the belly button and lower part of the abdomen to all the way around to the back, all the way down to mid-thigh. So, you know, when, as a surgeon, when, you know, when we're looking for actual hip pain, so the actual ball and socket joint, we're actually looking for kind of the, uh, what we call the medial deep groin. So, you know, it's not the outside uh, part of the hip. That's actually a different part of the uh, femur or the thigh bone. It's your thigh bone, right? A lot yeah. of people point to that out there. They say it hurts up here at my hips because that's when you're, I guess, getting measured for clothing and they put a tape measure around yeah. you. That's your hip area. But you're talking about the groin. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, and that's probably the most classic location for that sort of uh, for the, uh, for an arthritic pain. Uh, less commonly, but also uh, can easy, also be seen kind of more of a posterior buttock. So, 
you know, more kind of in the meat of the buttock, uh, kind of shooting out the back. Uh, that's, you know, not, not necessarily the sitting bone, but it's going to be higher than that. And you can also feel the pain uh, in that direction as well. So I come into you or a listener who's listening now says, yep, that sounds like me. I've, I, I have daily pain in those areas. Um, and they come in to see you in the clinic. How do you diagnose whether or not they are a candidate for surgery? Sure. So there's a few things. Uh, you know, first thing is just uh, listening to the patient, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, what are the limitations? Uh, you, know, you know, can you do everything in, in your daily life? Can you go up and down stairs? Uh, can you, you know, do things that you like to do. You know, do you like to garden? Do you like to bicycle? Do you like to play golf or tennis? You know, uh, do you like play? You know, can you still play with your grandkids? Um, so, you know, as you start getting a feel for you know what the patient is and isn't able to do, that starts to kind of give you a first kind of level of patient's overall kind of disability or at least perceived disability uh, with uh, with the problem that's going. Uh, the next step is actually then really doing the physical exam. You know, it's can I recreate the pain that the patient's talking about? And, you know, ideally, you know, the more I can localize that pain uh, to uh, that, that deep groin location, then the more confident that I feel that, yep, you know, that's actually the, the hip that's actually generating the pain. How do you do that? Do you put them on a table and just start wiggling the leg around and moving it around? Yeah, so there's certain maneuvers that we look for. Uh, you, know, you know, we would like to know, one, you know, what's the overall range of motion? You know, we do expect that with arthritis, patients can become more stiff over time. Um, and then, uh, so, you know, we start to, you know, we start looking at, you know, side to side. Thankfully, God gives us, you know, for the most part, you know, two, two joints. So we're right. able to then kind of compare side to side. And we can start to see some subtle differences that, start to indicate that you know there might be some sort of either mechanical block or there might be a, some stiffness uh, that's starting to kind of starting to show that there is a side to side difference mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that we will test for is probably one of the most reliable is you know bring if we're able to get the patient flex up to 90 degrees at the hip and then uh, we just uh, we test them in internal rotation so we try, uh, what we're trying to do is try to knock the the ball of the head you know into the cup and if that causes some irritation and they, again, they, they're able to localize that pain into the groin. Then, again, that's probably one of the most reliable signs. And you said a ball and socket. So mm-hmm. it's your hip joint is really made of your thigh bone, which does have a ball on the end of it, right? It's Correct. sort of like a trailer hitch ball. And yeah. then is that kind of? And then the socket is that just sort of a? What does that look like? You you look at them actually. Is it is it just kind of a? hollow cavity that, that, the, that the ball of the thigh bone fits in? Uh, exactly. And then on top of that, then there's, there's a, something called a labrum, which kind of acts as like a gasket. Uh, and that actually helps kind of keeps a good seal uh, over the ball itself. That helps kind of keep the, the cartilage bathed in synovial fluid, which is just mm-hmm. it's, it's a lubricant uh, for the cartilage. Yeah, I always kind of think of a trailer hitch. You know, you know, little... it looks it looks like that when we first start out, but over time, you is know, that it... where you buy them when you get your replacement parts? <laughs> you go down to the auto parts store and buy a two inch trailer hitch ball. <laughs> Might have a good uh, business plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, so you've done a, you've talked to the patient, you found out about their pain history, and then you you do a physical exam. What's next? Sure. Uh, the next thing is then correlating uh, basically their their story, uh, their clinic, their physical exam, and then looking at the x-rays and saying, all right, well, how does all this fit with, you know, what do I expect to see in the x-rays? And, you know, with, with that story, if I'm thinking about arthritis, I should expect to see arthritis on, on that imaging. And most of the time it does actually, you know, correlate. And then we can then start talking about, you know, treatment options for arthritis. If the x-rays don't seem to suggest that 
um, you know, what the story, you know, they don't seem to coincide, then you start saying, well, you know, maybe we needed additional imaging. Uh, maybe I need to go back to the exam or maybe I need to ask a few additional pointed questions to see if there isn't something else that I'm missing. Are you usually able to do that, make the diagnosis? It's sufficient to do surgery just on a plain x-ray or do you often have to get things like a CT scan or other kinds of advanced imaging? No, I, I would say vast majority of the time, uh, Really, plain X-rays is all we need. Uh, you know, often, you know, we will get patients saying, "Well, did you look at the MRI? Did you look at the CT scan?" And I'll often tell them, "It's like, well, we can, but there's no, there's no reason." It ain't gonna change anything. I can no. see that bone uh, crushing the other bone right yeah, on the, the X-ray. The, the only, the only thing that you're doing is, uh, you know, paying paying someone else a lot of money for those additional imaging or putting yourself at risk uh, with additional radiation. Okay, we're going to talk then. We're talking to Dr. George Hansen, orthopedic surgeon, about uh, knee and hip surgery, particularly um, hip and knee replacements. We're going to welcome your calls, and the text line, or the text line is going nuts already. Um, but we're going to talk um, after the break about what types of surgery. We're going to, I'm going to ask George to tell us about um, what the surgeries are like and what you might expect. All right, very good. We'll do that. We'll take a quick break, inviting our listeners to join in. As you said, Dr. Hilden, they're already doing that on our text line, 81807. If you want to phone in your question, 651-989-9226. And welcome back to more of Healthy Matters here again as your host, Dr. David Hilden. Thank you, Danny. We're talking to Dr. George Hansen, orthopedic surgeon at Hennepin Healthcare. He specializes in, in surgery of your bones and joints, um, both in things like knee and hip replacement and also in trauma care. So, um, George, tell us about a surgery. So if you've decided that I need a hip replacement or a knee replacement, what what can I expect? What kind of equipment do you use? How big of a deal is it? How long is it? You know, just talk uh, talk us through a surgery, what you would tell me, please. Sure. Uh, so I mean, probably just kind of kind of broad strokes. I mean, again, you know, the the decision to go forward with a, or with either hip or knee replacement, it's a big deal. Uh because you know, uh, once you've once you've gone once we've gone in once we've taken out that cartilage, there's no going back. So, you know, you know, we want to make sure that you know the patient is really confident in their decision. Because uh, ultimately, you know, you know, once the surgeon has offered the surgery, uh, it's really up to the patients to kind of make that final decision. They, you know, the patient really has to be able to decide, be confident in their decision that you know they're doing the right thing, right? And you know, the worst thing in the world is you know being the surgeon and the patient's looking at you as you're rolling to the OR saying. Well, should I be doing this? You know, it, you know, if, if you're yeah, thinking not the that, right time, no, there. that's the wrong time to be having that question. Right. So that's that. You know, you should really be, you know, kind of saying, "I am ready to go. I'm looking forward to tomorrow, despite you know what's going to be coming on." So, uh, what to expect? You know, from the surgery itself. Um, you know, I, t- I tell my patients, you know, you're not going to like me in the first month. You know, it's it, it's hard. It's you know, it's not easy. You know, it's you know, and it's and it's painful. But that being said, you know. There's been millions of people in this in the, in the country who've gone through it and have had successful outcomes, but it does take you know a, a lot of effort you know on on the patient's part uh, to be able to do the rehab and push through that pain. Uh, you know, obviously as a surgeon, it's our goal to make sure that you know we you know we give you a knee that's perfectly straight, that's well balanced, that can flex to 120 degrees uh, at least in the OR. Uh, from a hip standpoint, we want, you know we give you a hip that. You know, it gives you back the correct length, uh, one that's stable in, you know, basically you know, through, throughout a wide range of motion uh, so that we're decreasing your risk for, uh, for, dis- uh, for dislocation. Uh, but do you check it, those things in the OR, the yeah, range of motion? We absolutely do. So, so you do. You've put this new knee in. You, sit, you bend the knee to see if it's got the correct range? Yeah. So there's a few things that we look for. I mean, so I one, know that. 
So one, uh, we got to make sure, again, you know, that we've taken enough bone out uh, so that your knee gets straight. You know, if your knee's not straight, then you're going to have a heck of a time trying to walk. You have start having quad, quad function issues. Uh, we make sure that your, your kneecap's uh, tracking correctly. Uh, we make sure that, you know, again, that you aren't too lax or too stiff. Uh, and, then, um, and then, again, making sure that your knee can, can flex back a reasonable amount. Because if you're too tight in flexion, then you're probably not, not going to get there uh, once, you know, during the recovery. And then with the hip, again, uh, we're looking also at the range of motion, uh, particularly, you know, depending on uh, what approach you do, uh, which we can talk about later. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's been kind of a hot topic, but I probably short story is that it really doesn't make that much of a difference uh, ultimately. Uh, but you're making sure whatever approach the surgeon chooses, making sure that the hip is stable. And, uh, again, there's kind of the sweet spot for, you know, where, exactly where you place uh, the stem. Uh, so the uh, which is kind of the part of the, the ball side of the uh, hip, uh, and then making sure that you're putting the cup uh, in the correct position as well to really tr- to try to minimize risk for dislocation. What are these things made of? Patients have asked me that, and I frankly don't I don't know. Well, what are the uh, the the what's the hardware made of? Sure. Uh, so the hardware is e- going to be made of either titanium or uh, some sort of a, a stainless steel, cobalt, chromium. Uh, usually, some sort of mixture of that. Uh, the plastics at this point uh, are basically highly cross-linked polyethylene. That's been on the market essentially since 2000 uh, for the hips and about 2001, 2002 for the knees. Uh, and that's been kind of our, our latest kind of evolvement, if you will, from a uh, from a, from an articulation standpoint. Uh, we also have ceramic bearings as well. Uh, so those are probably the two main that we're looking at right now. Uh, the metal-on-metal uh, articulations have started to fall out of favor as we're starting to see the backlash uh, from uh, from that technology. So, so the part of its metal and the other part might be this new plastic material. Is Correct. That what you're yeah. So, so the articulating surfaces at this point are either going to be uh, metal on plastic, uh, or it's going to be ceramic on plastic, or in the case of hips, uh, though it's also fallen out of favor here in the states, is ceramic on ceramic. Okay. And you talked about approaches. Could you just briefly say what do you mean by approach? What direction they're coming in at? Exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, the two most common approaches have been an anterior lateral approach. So coming from kind of from the side of the hip. And there's another approach where you come in from the back of the hip. Uh, some of the uh, newer, well, it's actually a very old uh, approach, actually, uh, developing, uh, it was really first talked by, I believe, back in 1904, uh, which is what now people are re-advertising is the direct anterior approach to the hip. Uh, and, you know, again, that's yet another approach in which you can also do uh, Straight surgery. from the front. Straight from the front. Wow, we've got a lot more to talk about with George Hansen, orthopedic surgeon. We also have a a, a lot of uh, text messages and the phone lines are filling up. I'm going to talk a little bit more after the break with George about how you what you might expect in your recovery and what's going to happen after your surgery. But, uh, Denny, is this a good time to, to ask some listeners to call? Yeah, let's do that. In fact, uh, why don't we uh, see uh, Graham, who's been waiting in the wall. Pat in Minneapolis has a question first. Pat, what is your question, please? Yes, I've had a very long uh, journey with orthopedics. I'll try to make it quick. It um, started out about 10 years ago. I was diagnosed with patellofemoral syndrome and uh, very little arthritis except for under my kneecap, and they decided to replace my kneecap, which didn't work out, and I was sort of in more trouble after that. So a second surgeon decided to try it again. Oh, I'll tell you what, Pat. Your phone is breaking up. Let's do this since uh, we're going to be up against uh, 
the clock here. We want to get you to be able to answer your full question. So hang on. We'll probably have to wait till uh, we get to the other side. Uh, let's do this. L- let's get see if Donna and St. Peter can pose the question real fast. Donna, what is your question, please? Um, real quick, I had uh, knee surgery, arthroscopic, <clears throat> excuse me, two years ago um, for a torn meniscus. And since then, I have had four Synvisc injections. The one in June, I had um, some side effects where for two days, I, I could hardly walk. I couldn't put bear any weight on, on my right leg. And I had one um, a week ago this past Wednesday, and um, it was almost five days where I could hardly bear weight, yet I'm still having pain, and it's also down into my calf and up into my thigh. What would cause that? All right. Well, uh, thanks for the call. Um, so, obviously, you know, so I'm you know, sorry to hear you're having so many problems uh, with that. Uh, obviously, I can't necessarily speak directly to your case in particular, but, you know, kind of speaking in more generalities, you know, uh, you know, often when we have, you know, meniscal tears, uh, you know, it's kind of like a hangnail. And, you know, when, we, when we're going in, you know, the idea is to try to clean up uh, that tear because that, that meniscus can be flipping in uh, into the knee joint, and that can cause uh, usually it tends to be kind of a sharp pain or you might fear, feel like kind of a clicking or a catching. Uh, and it's a, it's a really, it tends to be a very sudden pain for our listeners. Uh, so by cleaning up that knee, uh, you know, you're solving a, a short-term problem, uh, which is kind of this mechanical issue. Unfortunately, you know, the meniscus is, is a required structure in our knee and it, help, is, it acts as a shock absorber. And, you know, when we start losing that, uh, that shock absorbency, we can start to uh, wear down the cartilage. And so you might be seeing that now, uh, though, again, it's hard to, uh, to say exactly uh, based without have, you know, being able to do an examination or uh, looking at imaging. But uh, in general, you know, why, why might be – so that would probably be the reason why we're probably starting to see some arthritis maybe developing. And then, you know, we, we can see, uh, you know, with uh, the injections, you know, we can have some kind of that rebound pain right after – uh, but over time, we do expect that uh, the uh, hyaluronic acid is probably not going to be as effective over time. That's what the injection was, the hyaluronic Correct. acid. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, George. We're, um, we're going to have to take our break. We have a lot more of the show in the next uh, next half. Absolutely. We have uh, almost another half hour of the show to go. So if you did not get in, and uh, Pat, we're going to try to get your call reconnected. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Healthy Matters this uh, Sunday morning. And Dr. Hilden, uh, for those that maybe joined us a little bit late, why don't you reintroduce your guest? We've got a lot of calls and a lot of text messages. Indeed we do, Denny. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show. As always, thank you so much for listening. I, uh, rarely a week goes by that I don't meet some listeners, and it happened this week again. Um, so to those of you who are listening and sometimes run into me at the hospital or elsewhere, thanks so much for listening. Today we're talking about uh, knee and hip replacement with Dr. George Hansen, orthopedic surgeon at Hennepin Healthcare. I didn't mention earlier on the show, but um, well, I did mention one thing. I said if you want an orthopedic surgeon, this I, I can tell you where you ought to go. You ought to come down to Hennepin. We have the, we have the best in the business. But I didn't tell you how to do that. So if you want to get a hold of any of our uh, Hennepin surgeons, a couple of easy ways to do it. You can call our phone number, which is 612-873-6963. That's 612-873-6963. Or you can always go to hennepinhealthcare.org. It's all one word, hennepinhealthcare.org. 
and you can um, find the the site for the orthopedic surgery department. So, George, we were talking. Um, this is Dr. George Hansen. He's the surgeon. He knows more about this than I do. Tell us. Um, we're going to go to um, Pat's call. Why don't we do that first, actually? Oh, Pat sure. got All cut right. off earlier. We're going to go to Pat's call. She was going to talk about the knee, and then we're going to talk about what is recovery like after replacement surgery. All right, very good. Pat, what is your question, please? Okay, I'm, I'll try to go really fast with this. Um, so I had one surgery for patellofemoral syndrome, and it failed because the knee they put in there became unglued. And uh, so I went on, at that point, had to have a total knee replacement, which also, for some reason, was an abysmal failure. And finally, my third, uh, it was a revision, another knee replacement, went well, and everything went well there. But as I was recovering, I noticed my back hurt. So on my knee checkup, I told the doctor, and I had an x-ray, and my back was a mess, and I had an eight-hour back surgery. And the long of the short of it, the... um, my main problem, I had some pain, but my main problem was from day one that I fell all the time. Um, not tripping, not being dizzy, just my knees would lock up and I would fall. And I have, I had a lumbar fusion and, uh, uh, something, let's see here, some kind of stenosis thing on my back. Probably spinal stenosis. Yeah. So let me jump. I still, my main problem, I'll just get this in here. uh, That's healed well. So I have a healed well knee on x-ray and a healed well back. And I still fall like that. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas for me. Pat, thank you for your call and for your patience and getting you back on after the break. Dr. Hansen, can you can you help us out? Sure. Uh, so we'll maybe touch base real quick. So uh, it sounds like loosening was kind of an issue for uh, for our last caller here, and unfortunately, you know that is one of the complications with surgery. So again, you know, obviously there's complications, you know, with everyday life as there is with the hip and knee replacement, and you know, again, I think this is where one uh, choosing you know your surgeon, you know, again, you're going into a you know, a contract with them and, you know, in a relationship. And it's one that you want to build and foster so that when, you know, obviously we expect things to go right the vast majority of time. Uh, but matter of fact is with knee replacements, about uh, 20% of patients uh, are either, either feel like it's not their knee uh, or aren't happy with their knee replacements. And with uh, hip uh, with hip replacements, about five percent are not happy. Uh, so that's yeah. that's a bit of a difference because I've often told people hips work really well. I rarely find people who didn't like their hip replacement in yeah. five percent. That I think that's a very low number. It's probably one of the mo- it's probably the most successful surgery that we do in orthopedics. Yeah, and, yeah, okay. And knees a little bit little bit more people don't. Yeah, knees are a little finicky and, and they're tough because you know, when you look at the X ray, you know, and it's like, well, you know. We know they're straight, they look good, and, and yet patients aren't always happy. Um, and again, now, again, 80% are very happy, but another 10%, again, don't have pain anymore, but they don't feel like it's their knee. And then again, about another 5-10% are just tends to not be very happy. Uh, so, and there's a multitude of reasons for that, uh, but, uh, but in general, uh, so you just want to make sure that you're choosing your surgeon. And, you know, so that when things don't necessarily go as well as we would have liked, uh, you are able to then work with that same person to try to troubleshoot. Uh, 
What no. is now? Pat talked about patellofemoral syndrome. Sure. What's that? So patellofemoral syndrome, unfortunately, you know, it's kind of a grab bag of problems. And but the patellofemoral joint, uh, it's where the kneecap uh, runs within the groove of the front part of the knee. And you know, so whenever there's a bit of an imbalance issue, uh, and it could be what because of the shape of the kneecap, it could be the shape of the groove within the front part of the knee, uh, it could be the, you know, you know, it could be your overall limb uh, alignment and how it's tracking. It could also be uh, strength or lack thereof uh, within your quadriceps that could all be playing into change in the, the motion of your knee. So. Uh, so there's a lot of things we try to do uh, initially to try to fix that with rehab, with injections, uh, with exercises. And when all that fails and you've developed arthritis purely within the patellofemoral joint, you can then consider a replacement. Though I will say that's not a very common surgery. And, and there's probably, there's only, a, you're probably only going to find uh, joint surgeons who are actually fellowship trained who might do it. And not all, not all of them do. So, or they refer to like maybe some of their colleagues who do do, do them. I would like to kind of follow up with some text messages to kind of lead us into the next topic or the more on the topic of recovery. Um, here's one person that says, uh, well, my knees always feel so heavy even after six or eight months out. Here's another person that says, when can I do stairs after after my knee surgery? So talk to us about the recovery. Sure. Uh, so uh, let's start with the knees first. Uh, so like I said before, uh, you know, when it comes to knees, you know, I think the general timeline that I tell my patients, you know, first month is tough, uh, and, it's, and it takes a lot of grueling work to kind of get to make to, to really make sure you're really working on getting your knee fully straight with those exercises, and then starting to work on really starting to bend that knee. By about three months out is about when you're going to start. You're still going to have. Uh, you'll start to wean off your cane and starting to get back to walking on your own uh, without any uh, devices. Uh, you're starting to get back into daily activities, uh, but your stamina is not there yet. You know, so you're still going to be working on strength. And, I, and you know, what I tell patients is, you know, it's just like working out. Uh, you know, you know, after you've done a lifting session, you're going to feel sore. And it's it's not a you know it's not horribly painful, but you know, you're achy two or three out of ten. And that's how it is from about month three to about about month twelve, or even a year and a half out. Because for however long you've been debilitated for, it's going to take that much longer for you to get back to, you know, whatever it is that you're desiring to do. So if your goal is to walk five miles and you haven't walked five miles in four or five years, well, you know, you can't you can't expect that you're going to build all your strength back in two or three months. You know, it might take a year, it might even take two years. So this texture was six to eight months out of some heaviness. Yeah, that's so, not abnormal. No, it's not. And you know, I would I would you know strongly advise that you just keep working at it and you know keep pushing, and you'll eventually get there. In fact, you know, I also tell my patients that you know your knee will be swollen for about a year. It's about a year to a year and a half before you see your kneecap. Again. Wow! No kidding. It's it takes that long. that long. In fact, you can look out in, in you know in the clinic. You know, you know, it's about summertime. You see everyone with their scars, and you can you can just pick out who's over a year out oh, uh, and who's under a year just based on the swelling. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question because again, it's about recovery. It was a text that came in um, earlier in the show. It says, "I've had." I'm going to paraphrase it. I've had both knees done. This is a 63 year old healthy woman. Um, I've completed a physical therapy a couple months ago, but I've had trouble with range of motion. I'm at 110 degrees in one knee and 115 degrees in the other. Is that enough? What does she mean by that? Or he mean by that? Or she sure, mean by that? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at the data, uh, you know, in fact, in, in this, you know, some of that when I was looking, even back in Boston doing the kinematics data, I mean, on average, you know, patients reach 
about 118 degrees. Uh, it doesn't matter really. There's only about a few degree difference between different types of knee components, uh, but on average, about 118 degrees is average. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, you know, it's good technology, but it's not perfect. You know, again, we're not giving patients, uh, you know, a, a 20. Even though you're getting a new knee, you're not getting a 25 year old's knee. We're giving you a 65 year old's knee. If I uh, pay more, can I get the 25 year old's knee? <laughs> I, I wish. If I knew what that was, believe me, I, I'd be putting it in. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so, so uh, when we say degrees of motion, what are we talking about here? I'm trying to think. What does the normal yeah. knee do? So uh, or the well, native knee. Well, the native what is the 25? Well, it knee? depends. You know, if you look at if you look at my toddler, <laughs> you know, he can go from you know zero degrees. He can he can you know bend his knee. He's back Gumby. To, yeah, exactly. He can bring his knee all the way back. You know, heels back. You know, behind his butt. I mean, he, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, yes, that's not what you're after in an older adult. Huh? No, no. Again, if we can get, you know, if, you know, if we hit 120, that's you know, that that allows you to do everything really in in daily life. You know, you know, we talk about getting out of a tub. Uh, you need you know a good 95, 100 degrees to be able to clear the lip of the tub. Uh, you probably need about 100, 105 maybe to, to do the bicycle uh, to be able to get that knee around, unless you have a really high seat post. Uh, stairs also, you probably need a good 100. You know, 105 to start clearing those steps. So this texture has 110 degrees and 115 degrees. It's yeah. okay. It's, is that know, a fair statement? It's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, would I be happy with that? Not necessarily. I would like to see more, but some. You know, but each person is going to have. You know, again, you have to look at each individual. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if you started off with a knee that you know was you know had very limited motion beforehand, was very stiff. You know, you aren't going to get this, you know, the super 135 degrees. So we're going to go to the phones after the break. Absolutely. We'll do that. We'll be back after this uh, quick break here on News Talk A3OWCCO. Uh, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Uh, we have callers. We have textures. Dr. Hill, and I'll tell you what, let's, uh, I know you have a couple of things to say, but Doug in St. Paul uh, has been waiting. Doug, what is your question, please? Well, it's not a real question. I just think that you're talking about, I had both knees replaced at the same time on August 24th of 17. The key for me, and I've I've recovered very well, is they had a series of simple exercises. There were seven of them that they taught us at a class at Methodist. And I did those religiously. And I will tell you, it increased the time that I was uh, that I recovered uh, very very quickly. I don't know what the doctor thinks about those exercises, but with building up the quads and the butt and the and the ankles and uh, uh, when uh, when you have both knees replaced at the same time, uh, you don't have a chance to really. Uh, drag your legs up and down the stairs. They had me going up and down stairs when I got to the rehab center, probably uh, within uh, 10 days after surgery. Well, let's find out. What about the exercise? Yeah, no, I think you hit it right on the head. Um, like I said before, I, again, the surgeon can get you, you know, about 15, 20% of the way there. And again, you know, you know, that's really just leaving the OR. And after that, it really comes down to the exercises. Um, you know, again, starting day zero, you know, I want my patients up and walking. Um, and, the dog's uh, right, right away. Oh yeah, it's right away. I, you know, as soon as that spinal wears off, as soon as the anesthesia, as soon as the general anesthesia wears off, as soon as you, you can safely get up and walk, I mean, day zero. But uh, doctor, it hurts. It unfortunately. So this is where I, where I turn from <laughs> cheerleader to uh, drill sergeant. And unfortunately, the answer is I don't care. We got to yeah. get you up and moving because the matter of fact is, patients who sit around longer are more likely to have complications, and the ones that I worry about most are going to be blood clots. Uh, pneumonias, uh, just because we're not getting up, we're not moving, and our body doesn't matter how much we hurt, 
on a daily basis. We're always up and moving, which is why we don't normally get these sorts of complications in daily life. But so Doug, Doug talked surgery. about moving the quads and his butt muscles and all that. Is that that, is that kind of standard, what he yeah, was doing? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, early on, we're really focusing on, on quad sets. So, you know, exercises that really kind of wake the quadriceps back up. You know, it's doing the motion exercises because, again, patients who sit around and don't move those knees after surgery start to get stiff. And, you know, sometimes you fall into this uh, false sense of security saying, well, once that pain starts, you know, once that pain gets a little better, then I'll start the exercises. And and when you fall into that mindset and that trap, uh, patients never get better. In fact, because the pain gets stiffer and stiffer and you get more and more pain. Uh, so you know, doing the exercise is important. I will say uh, one other thing is, again, I would caution the listeners, uh, you know, while, yet, while doing bilateral knee replacements can be successful, uh, it takes a very specific patient, and I would caution the vast majority of patients on actually doing one, cert- one knee at a time. All right. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, let's see. Bob in Excelsior has been winning. Bob, what is your question? Um, I have two friends that uh, have had knee and hip surgery in their 60s. Um, what is the effectiveness of stem, stem cell treatment and the pros and the cons of stem cell treatment? Thanks for sure. your call, Bob. Well, a uh, matter of fact is right now in the United States, uh, we actually do not have any true stem cell therapies, uh, you know, in the strictest sense, uh, just because there's it's not been approved by the FDA at this point. Uh, so, uh, there are a few, uh, a very select few academic centers that are actually doing this sort of research, uh, mainly uh, guys at Stanford, uh, University of Pittsburgh, as well as one of my alma maters uh, over at Rush University out in Chicago. Uh, <clears throat> so these are all very experimental. And right now, there's really very little data to support that any of this works as of yet. Uh, believe me, once uh, the uh, technology is there, we will know about it. Whoever figures it out will probably win a, a Nobel Peace Prize or a Nobel Prize of some sort. So Maybe the Peace Prize, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that call. Um, I'm, I'm going to go to this text line because this is an interesting question. This is from a texter. It says, okay, it's from Mark in Columbia Heights. Occasionally when I'm walking, my right hip feels like it's collapsing or giving out. There doesn't seem to be any pattern or warning when this might occur. Although I've been diagnosed with arthritis in the hip, I don't have any pain associated with the condition. Sure. So, uh, you know, when it comes uh, to the hip, you know, everyone's, you know, we, there is a subset of patients where, well, let's maybe take it back a little bit. With arthritis in general, wh- whether it be the knee or the hip, uh, there are times where, you know, you look at the x-rays and, you know, it looks like horrible arthritis. And yet, you know, the patient's looking at you saying, you know, well, you know, it hurt me. Yeah, it doesn't hurt me. And, you know, so we kind of ask them, well, why are you here? And you know, they say, well, because my friend told me to. And he said, you need to get that checked out. And, you know, so I guess the first, it comes back down to overall, again, quality of life, what you're doing. Can you do the things that you want to be doing? So if, you know, regardless of what the imaging shows, you know, I would say, you know, if you're not having falls you know, and it's not causing any problems, then I'm not sure if it's, you know, we can always make you worse, unfortunately, as surgeons. So, you know, if it's not, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, now, if you are having, so now there are times with, uh, with knee arthritis, if it's on the outside part of the knee, patients don't necessarily uh, present with pain, but they do present with their knee giving out, and they start having recurrent falls. So even if you don't have pain, but you're having recurrent falls, then it might be maybe a reason to consider actually getting that knee replaced. Um, it's not often, but, you know, you know, if you see those, you know, elderly patients who are starting to have these falls, 
you know, it may you know, save you from having a hip fracture down the line. Now, with regards to the hips, um, I mean, there are also a subset of patients where their main complaint is more stiffness as opposed to pain. And same sort of thing. If, if it's getting to a point where it's really starting to affect your life, you know, getting in and out of a car, being able to drive safely, uh, being able to get up and down stairs safely, then I mean, that, that's a decision that you and your surgeon have to make together as to whether or not it's the right way to go. But, um, you know, once you start really having limitations of motion in that hip, you know, I think the old adage of, you know, the backbone's connected to the hip bones, connected to the knee bone. Actually, does it's it's true. I mean, you know, you start changing your mechanics. You, you know, you start having low back problems. Starts affecting your other your other side, your other knee, your other hip. So at that point, you know, it's probably it's probably time uh, to maybe consider uh, at least talking to the surgeon a little more, uh, you know, a little more critically about what the next steps ought to be. From the text line, Dr. Hansen, why do some doctors use the range of motion machine post-knee replacement and some don't? Well, uh, We have about a minute. Sure. Uh, is because uh, data has not proven uh, that it's effective after primary knee replacement. So uh, it's just an extra incurred cost uh, that you're paying or insurance companies paying. So actually a lot of insurance companies don't pay. Uh, I will say maybe a small plug uh, if, you know, just in general, if there's if you have interest in looking at more information, I think a great website uh, for our patients is going to be orthoinfo.com. Uh, it's actually, I'm sorry, uh, .org, I apologize. So it's orthoinfo.org. Uh, it's through the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Uh, so it's, it's a well-vetted uh, group. It's the group that actually provides our licensing and, and helps with all of our uh, basically kind of our, uh, w- what's kind of considered standard practice. So, okay, and. Ten seconds. Can people after their knee replacement kneel on their new knees? About half can, half can't. Uh, it, and it can take a few years before they can. Uh, and again, it kind of comes back down to whether or not that knee feels uh, natural or not. Dr. George Hansen, thank you so much for being with us today. We're out of time. All right. Thank you. It's been Thanks a great show. I have Dr. George Hansen from Hennepin Healthcare. If you want to get in touch with us, 612-873-MYMD is the phone number. And next week's show is what? It's just me on an open line show. All right, get your questions ready. That's next week. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.